Over the Easter weekend of 2002, about a thousand refugee solidarity protesters gathered at the Woomera Detention Centre in South Australia. In dramatic scenes, the fences were pushed down by refugees inside with the help of protesters outside, and about 40 refugees escaped in a huge embarrassment for John Howard's Liberal government. The action brought the government's cruelty to refugees and asylum seekers to the attention of millions around the country. And it showed, as we've seen over and over again over the past 20 years, that refugees are active fighters for their own freedom. It also gave a glimpse of how a determined, active campaign of solidarity could break through the government's veil of secrecy. And as we continue the fight for refugee freedom and permanent settlement today, the Woomera breakout continues to be an inspiration. Today is the latest in our new segment of The Sound of Solidarity, entitled I Was There, where activists who have taken part in key struggles tell their story. I'm talking to Solidarity member James Supple, a long-term activist with the Refugee Action Coalition in Sydney. James was at Woomera over those dramatic days 20 years ago in 2002. You're listening to The Sound of Solidarity, brought to you by Solidarity. We're a revolutionary socialist group in Australia, and if you'd like to find out more about us, our website is solidarity.net.au. I'm David Glanz, and I'm recording this episode on unceded Wurundjeri land in Nam or Melbourne. So welcome, James. Thanks, David. Good to be here. All right. Well, first up, let's just go over the basics. Where is Woomera and how did so many refugees end up there? Woomera is a town about 500 kilometres north uh, of Adelaide. Uh, the detention centre was built just outside uh, the town, another couple of kilometres outside. Uh, opened in November 1999. Uh, and, you know, that was in a period where that year and the end of the year before, there had been you know, a small increase in um, refugees arriving by boat in Australia. Uh, so the Liberal government opened that detention centre. Uh, it was built for about 400 people. But uh, at its height, there was almost 1,500 people uh, that were, were housed in that detention centre. And I think one of the obvious things about the location is just the remoteness. We're talking a place which is effectively in the middle of the desert uh, in Australia, a very long way from anywhere. Uh, and that was a very deliberate move to you know, put refugees in a remote, inaccessible location like that, uh, where they were a long way away from supporters, from visitors, from lawyers and you know, legal assistance um, of any kind. Uh, and it was a deliberate um, you know, attempt to, to break people as well, putting them in that kind of location. And nowadays, refugees in detention have mobile phones, but that wasn't the case back in 2000, 2002. That's right. Uh, and there was no internet. It was before the, the days where that was common as well. Um, I, I understand it when Woomera was actually opened in 1999, there was literally one telephone for, you know, the hundreds of uh, asylum seekers that, that were kept there. You know, it was difficult to access that. You needed phone cards to access the phone. Uh, so, you know, that really compounds the isolation, uh, I think, and gives you an indication of, you know, the, the wider kind of um, conditions that people were, were held in there. Now, at that point, at least, if the asylum seekers were found to be refugees, they had a chance of being able to stay in Australia, unlike... Uh, the people who came by boat later on. 
but they were held for a very long time. What was the average processing time? Remembering, of course, that there were hundreds of children amongst those 1,400 detainees. There was people there who took uh, you know, up to a year to, to process. Certainly most people were there for you know eight, nine months. Uh, and by the time of 2002, Woomera was also essentially being used as a place to dump people who had been uh, initially rejected in terms of their refugee claims. So you're talking about people who were even longer term detainees who'd you know, been processed, who'd been in the system for, for years at that point. Now, we'll, we'll talk about the 2002 breakout in a moment, but that wasn't actually the first time that refugees had broken out. There were breakouts at Woomera and then Curtin uh, and Port Hedland in WA. So what, what drove those breakouts? Yeah, so the, the first uh, major breakout was at that Woomera actually in, um, in June two, of 2000. And about a time about four or 500 asylum seekers that broke out. Uh, and on that occasion, it was not so much an attempt to escape uh, the authorities and immigration, if you like. It was an attempt to bring some attention to what was actually happening in, in detention and what was being done to uh, asylum seekers. So the Woomera breakout was really one of the major events, I think, that did put a national spotlight on what the Howard Liberal government was doing to refugees. You had, you know, these four or 500 asylum seekers marched into the town of Woomera, which was about three kilometres from the detention centre. Uh, and they're actually there for three days, uh, defying the immigration authorities uh, in an attempt to get media attention, which they did do because they were there for, for such an extended period. That same year and the months following, there were also, uh, as you say, breakouts at um, Curtin and Port Headland in, in WA, which were two of the other remote uh, uh, detention centres um, in Western Australia where, where refugees were, were being dumped at the time. So coming back to the events of 20 years ago in 2002, a thousand activists converging in the desert, 500 kilometres from Adelaide, but thousands of kilometres from most of the other major cities, was quite a feat. How did the movement manage it? It built on two kind of um, political developments in terms of social movements, if you like. Uh, in the years leading up to 2002, there'd been the growth of an anti-capitalist uh, movement and series of demonstrations in Australia, which I think did help to establish the idea of protest convergences, like in particular the S11 protest in Melbourne outside the, the Crown Casino against the World Economic Forum in 2000, where you know activists converged from uh, all over the country for that demonstration. Similarly, I think for the, the Cholgum demonstration, people travelled from around the country uh, to that in 2001. And, you know, some of Chogum that spirit, being... I think, was taken into Woomera. Some of the um, activists who, you know, helped to initiate the protest were uh, no borders, kind of no one is illegal uh, activists who very much saw themselves as part of that, you know, kind of global anti-capitalist uh, movement. Um, but, of course, there's also, there'd also been a, you know, distinct refugee rights movement that had been growing in Australia since, uh, since the middle of 2002. In fact, I think that initial Woomera breakout was one of the precipitating events uh, in terms of a more organised refugee rights movement, you know, developing in Australia and the um, formation of some of the refugee action uh, collectives that are that are still active today. In terms of, you know, how the, the movement organised it, what I remember from, from Melbourne where I was at the time is that uh, Refugee Action Coalition, like, helped to organise buses, other activists, um, you know, got themselves there kind of on their own steam. Um, and certainly in terms of Melbourne, it had actually been the second time that we 
had bussed to the Woomera Detention Centre. There'd been a, an earlier protest that, um, that Rack in Melbourne organised in September, I think late September 2001, where we'd been there for a shorter uh, period. Um, you know, and I think there was that, uh, you know, there was a desire by a lot of activists and people who were supporters of refugees to try and get uh, close to these remote kind of desert detention centres because, as I say, it was an attempt to, you know, put people out of sight, out of mind, out of, you know, any contact with supporters, uh, visitors and so on. And so there was a very strong, you know, desire, I think, from people around the country to to actually try and get close to some of these um, detention centres and to try and uh, break down some of that isolation that the, the refugees kind of were experiencing. And I, mean, I think some of the other background too in terms of the, the Woomera breakout is that there had been a lot of protest inside the detention centres as well by refugees already before 2002, particularly up the Woomera Detention Centre, um, you know, driven by the isolation and the kind of appalling conditions. Um, and, you know, you often had people in detention who had a background as political activists in their, their own countries who, you know, fled um, places like Iraq with Saddam Hussein or Iran where there are repressive regimes. And, you know, there was a lot of organising inside the detention centres in terms of, yeah, protests and hunger strikes, you know, the breakouts and so on. And so I think there was a you know, very strong desire because people had seen those protests in detention centres to try and, you know, show some solidarity and, and link up with um, the people who were protesting inside detention. So what was it like to be there? And tell us about the moment when the fences fell. Well, this was a, a like a protest camp where we were essentially there for uh, for three days, I think, you know, camping in the desert, uh, you know, with all the kind of organisation and logistics that that uh, kind of involved. But we are talking about it like a, a camp in the middle of the desert. So you're talking about the, the red kind of centre, really, of Australia. Uh, and in terms of the, the mobilisation itself and when we, we got there, things really escalated quite quickly because we'd planned three days of, you know, different kinds of, uh, protests and actions uh, at the detention centre and no one quite knew what was going to be possible, what was going to happen. Like we understood that a lot of the area around the detention centre was a restricted zone and that the police were going to try and stop us getting really anywhere near the detention centre. We arrived on the Friday where the, the camp and the protest really um, kicked off. It was the first day of the uh, the convergence and you know, the convergence itself was organised and made decisions through big kind of all-in spokes council style meetings and we'd really only had the, the at the very first uh, all-in meeting on the, the Friday afternoon, we're told, we got word that th there'd been a, um, a call from inside the detention centres by some of the asylum seekers and refugees that, that they, wanted, they wanted a protest that afternoon, that they uh, wanted to organise a, um, a solidarity protest, that they were going to be protesting inside and they wanted us to try and march to the you know to to get somewhere near the detention center and to hopefully be visible and to show solidarity with their protest uh, that was happening inside so you know in response to that call we we tried to march towards the detention center uh, of course the police tried to to block the road so people uh, went off the uh, the main road and we didn't really know where we were going. I don't know if there were people who had some clear idea or who had actually organised uh, a way to, to get to the detention centre, but we pretty much went straight into the desert um, and came across a fence that, you know, we thought was one of the fences that was trying to stop us getting into the detention centre and, you know, perhaps a dozen people, like, pretty much immediately 
you know, who were there to, you know, wanted to get as close to the, the refugees as possible, you know, started to try and tear down that fence. So you had, you know, about a dozen people jumped up on the fence, trying to like pull it back and forth. Um, and actually wasn't, you know, it was actually quite quick that, that that fence gave way and fell. And then, you know, there was a bit of a moment of hesitation where people, you know, some people weren't sure about what to do, but quite a few hundred people like streamed over that, um, that fence. Ironically, we found out later if we'd like gone a few you know, hundred metres further, we could have actually walked around. It wasn't one of the main fences of the detention centre, but um, as, we went, as we went a bit further, we got to the actual detention centre uh, gates themselves, which were you know, much more imposing than the, um, the fence that we'd just kind of come over. As soon as we got there, there were no police, so we could simply go you know, right up to the outer fence of the detention centre and you know, could see some refugees already there who were calling out to us, who were you know, part of the protest inside and people were able to, uh, you know, extend their hands and to, you know, shake hands with people inside the uh, detention centre. Um, and it was actually the, you know, asylum seekers themselves who managed to break open, uh, really, the fence. You, uh, you had the kind of a picket fence type of, uh, you know, steel kind of um, fence on the outside of the detention centre. And um, there were asylum seekers inside who managed to, Really pry some of the those steel pickets um, apart, just large enough so that um, you know a person could could get out through that outer fence. Um, yeah, within a, a short space of time, like there was a, a stream of people who were through that fence, kind of into the crowd um, before the police, you know, then managed to come up. But there were yeah a number of people, a number of asylum seekers, like streamed out, you know, fell into the crowd. Some of them, and then the people were you know, giving clothing to some of those asylum seekers so they could disguise themselves and blend in with the protest crowd. Um, but a number of people broke out the front um, that way. Um, but we we also found out later, which I think is also a testament to the organisation inside the detention centre and the determination of the uh, refugees to protest themselves, that the, the bulk of the people who actually escaped managed to get out the back of the detention centre, really using the, the protest where we were as a a diversion um, so that all the police and you know, security concentrated on that area. From there, we had, you know, like there's a number of refugees who'd escaped from the detention centre and we had to try and work out a way to, you know, spirit some of those people to safety and work out kind of what to do. So there was then quite a tense night, that night in particular uh, at the protest camp where, you know, there was discussions about with some of those refugees who'd escaped and, you know, amongst the protesters more generally about how we were going to try and um, deal with that situation. You know, it's true that some refugees were, like, fairly fairly quickly kind of recaptured and put into detention, but there actually were, you know, a number who escaped from immigration and for quite a number of years, like, were, were free out in the community as a result of, of that, you know, breakout from detention. That's an amazing story. Now, detention in Woomera and the other remote camps came in the context of 9-11, uh, the attack in the United States in 2001, and the whole following so-called war on terror. So what were the arguments activists faced at the time, and how did you respond? Yeah, I think that context is uh, very important, uh, because 2001 particularly like was uh, a very dramatic year, You know, I think for... Australian society, but also for the left and the refugee movement. And I think 
you know, by the end of the year, I think a lot of people were, were reeling from shock um, as well as anger at, at what had happened um, in terms of that context. So as you said, in August, you'd had the, the Tampa incident where you know, Howard had sent the SAS under the Tampa to, to stop refugees uh, getting to Australia. And that was the beginning of um, the Pacific solution of sending people to initially to Nauru, but, but later to Manus Island as well. Uh, and you had uh, Labor's capitulation to Howard over the Tampa and over his you know, anti-refugee Fortress Australia um, politics as well. You know, at the time, also supported, um, if you know, opinion polls are correct, by about 70%. Um, of the population, and that was followed within a couple of weeks, actually, just two weeks later by 9-11 and the kind of dramatic and, you know, shocking, you know, attack on the Twin Towers. Um, that was followed quickly by the US war in Afghanistan. Uh, and as a result of, you know, largely of some of those uh, events, uh, Howard also dramatically won an election that he was widely, you know, expected, you know, before before this happened uh, to win in, in November. So, I think there was. Like he was a, expected to lose it. I think wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He was. That's right. He was expected to to lose the election, yeah, you know, until the the Tampa and and nine eleven. But then, yeah, you know, in in November, um, Howard won re-election, uh, and I think yeah, as a result of that, there was quite a a sense that there was a bit of a right wing racist tide in society, and um, you know that the left and the refugee movement, refugee supporters were were now quite isolated. But um, but there was also a lot of anger at at what had happened, and I think you know like the there was a the refugee movement really grew significantly as well um, in the months kind of following as people uh, tried to work out kind of how to how to respond. But in terms of the, the the arguments that all those those events created and that we had to to deal with, I mean of course like Howard's uh, sending refugees onto the Tampa and the broader efforts to construct detention centres and push anti-refugee policies meant that there was a whole series of racist myths that the Liberals and the mainstream media promoted that, that had to be dealt with. Uh, so, you know, even in 99, I think the Liberals had described uh, the increase in boat arrivals as a national emergency. You know, there was this idea that Australia was being flooded, that um, the, the government actually said that whole villages were packing up to, to come to Australia. And some of the you know the terms that we're now familiar with, uh, like refugees being called illegals and criminals and so on, so on, uh, you know, you know, were popularised to try and drive home the Liberals' agenda. You know, they introduced um, temporary protection visas as well in 1999 in terms of pushing the idea that um, refugees were queue jumpers and not coming through the proper channels uh, and so on. So there was a whole lot of uh, you know racist myths and myths about refugees like that 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 the movement. Uh, had to deal with, but I think there was also a broader issue about, uh, you know, why the government was doing this in terms of the the, the racist agenda, agenda the Liberals had. Because if you look at the the Howard government, uh, you know, for anyone who remembers, like the like racism was really a feature of Howard's you know, time in office all the way through from 1996. You know, initially, you had um, all the events around the election of Pauline Hanson and the way that you know Howard responded to that in terms of you know, saying that it was a good thing that people like Pauline Hanson could, could speak her mind and, you know, really conceding to the anti-migrant ideas that she was um, that she was pushing. You had um, his response to the stolen generation and refusing to apologise and, and refugees was really the, the next target after that for the government. Uh, and I think it was quite it was quite stark, I think, with the become known as the Tampa election 
in in 2001 where Howard won uh, re-election that 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 racism that Howard um, you know was using played a really obvious role in turning people's anger what was going on in society away from the the neoliberalism and the, the GST the Liberals had introduced and the anti-union laws and privatisation and so on that was that was really destroying working-class people's lives and turning that anger onto to refugees, onto to migrants, onto Indigenous people and so on. Because I think the 2001 election, it was it was stark the way that, um, you know, as I said, that Howard had looked like he was going to lose the election because of the opposition that existed to the economic policies the Liberals were, were pushing that, you know, like were, were hurting working class people and the way in which he was able to refocus political attention and make it out that refugees and, um, you know, the number of people arriving here by boat was somehow, yeah, a national emergency, a problem that was somehow responsible for hurting people's living standards and, you know, was going to somehow drive down wages and, and so on. So that that use of um, racism as a way to, you know, deflect people's attention and to make it easier to push through the, you know, the pro-business kind of pro-capitalist economic agenda that, that the Liberals had, I think, um, uh, was quite stark. But obviously not everyone not everyone saw it in terms of, in those kind of terms, in terms of, uh, you know, a conscious way of um, actually trying to sow racism in the working class and use that as a way to, you know, divide and rule in, in a sense. Yeah, so there was a so there was a lot of arguments about about that about how did you how do you stand up to Howard? How did you actually build a movement around refugees and you know I guess connect the solidarity and support for refugees and opposition to racism to you know the wider kind of opposition to what the the Liberals were doing and the the, the broader kind of agenda the Liberals had. You mentioned that many of the organizations of the refugee movement that are still around today were being formed at around this time that this was a, a critical moment really from uh, 2001 onwards how did the Woomera convergence fit with that dynamic did the direct action and the challenge to the fences did that encourage refugee supporters or did it put them off did was there a big debate about whether it was the right way to go yeah, there was certainly a debate. I mean, I, I think, yeah, you're right in the sense that Woomera was also a, a product of that uh, kind of growth of the, the refugee movement at the end of, you know, 2001. And, you know, in a sense, it was, uh, you know, like one kind of constituency taking up the issue in a way that there are other groups like Labor for Refugees and Chill Out or Rural Australians for Refugees who might have had different, uh, you know, strategies for supporting refugees and you know for campaigning around the issue there was certainly an issue and an argument before the um the Woomera protest that that it was a mistake to go and protest at the detention center that that the protest was itself going to be responsible for you know perhaps a crackdown on refugees inside the detention center and you know for guards using it as an excuse to attack people inside the detention center to tear gas people to make the conditions uh, kind of even worse you know, which I think was really tied to an idea that uh, it was somehow uh, it was only it was going to be dedicated legal work or private appeals to politicians or working through the right channels that you know that was going to advance the the cause of refugees. Whereas I think you know our counter was firstly to say that there actually been a long process and you know history already of refugees inside Woomera and other detention centres themselves 
you know, protesting and uh, in the lead up to the protest, there were hundreds of people in the detention centre signed a, an open letter supporting the protest and saying they wanted us to come as well. You know, so the idea that it was simply the protesters outside were putting upon the refugees inside detention, I think, wasn't um, wasn't accurate. But there was a very real organisation and agency which refugees inside detention centres had and were, were using to protest against their conditions themselves. And quite a number of them did see what we were doing as you know, an act in solidarity with the organising and protest that they've been doing inside detention. You know, and I think importantly that both the protest by refugees inside detention centres and the protest outside actually did achieve things, like it actually did, you know, improve conditions inside the Woomera detention centre. Um, I think, you know, eventually, not that long after the, the protest, the Woomera detention centre itself was um, was actually closed, which I think was part of the, you know, government realising that Woomera itself had become kind of too much of a liability. You know, and I think there's a broader sense too in, in which the, the Woomera protest itself actually helped to yeah, expose what was going on in the uh, Woomera detention centre, the conditions that people were held in, and I think shifted the wider political debate as well about refugees so that you know a lot of people, I think, when they saw people protesting, being prepared to actually try and help refugees escape from detention to break them out of the detention centre led to a lot of questioning and, and discussion in broader society about why people were prepared to do that, what was going wrong in the detention centres and why the government was um, pursuing this po- this policy, which I think was part of the, the process of actually turning around public opinion and um, eventually forcing the government to make uh, you know some concessions and changes in terms of releasing people from detention and a series of other things. You mentioned the retreat of the Labour Party over Tampa and then more broadly over refugee policy and indeed the war on terror. That was the Labour Party leadership, but actually within the Labour Party and within the unions, there was something of a groundswell of support for refugees and some really big debates. So how were they playing out at the time? And in asking that question, I'm assuming that it matters what the unions and the Labour Party membership think. Not everybody agrees with that. Why do you feel that winning union and ALP support was important? Yeah, I mean, you're right that it, it uh, that issue about how to relate to the unions and the Labour Party was, you know, was controversial through the, the refugee campaign and you know, perhaps still is. Now, having said that, like from the beginning of the well, the campaign really, particularly the, the RAC groups, uh, did have a focus particularly on the, the unions. So if you look at you know some of the first national days of protest, like there was an effort to you know to get trade union speakers. Um, and even before the 2001 election, there were you know a series of union leaders particularly prepared to, to speak out and, and come to those um, demonstrations. But I think the, the experience of the 2001 election at the end of that year and the disgust that a lot of people had with the Labor leadership's Me Tooism, uh, if you like, around refugees, with how it meant it became a much much bigger issue in the um, in the unions and in the, the Labor Party. So I mean, even at that election, you could see you know that there were a lot of Labor members even that voted for the Greens over refugees at that election, and there was the growth of of like the emergence of Labor for refugees, you know, which would really only have been six months before the Woomera protest um, have happened of people in the Labor Party actually trying to agitate and change Labor Party policy to overturn that um, Me Tooism and support for, for what the Liberals were doing. And in terms of why I think that um, 
that whole issue and what's happening in the Labor Party and the unions was important. I think firstly there's, in terms of Labor, like there's always been a need to break that kind of bipartisan political consensus around you know, the Fortress Australia policies and offshore uh, detention and so on. Like, if there's actually going to be an end to those policies, like one of the major parties has to has to break with their support from them. And if you look at the, the Labor Party, the the left obviously has a lot more uh, levers to to try and pressure and shift Labor, you know, compared to the Liberals. So it was indicated by the you know the number of unions who were prepared to come out and support refugees, um, the number of union leaders, particularly after 2001, who and the, and the election, who could see what Howard was doing with the, um, the racism and the way in which a section of their own union members even were sympathetic or some voted for the Liberals uh, over that issue and the, the need to actually combat um, you know, that, that racism that was kind of gaining a hold in, um, in the working class. But, yeah, in terms of the Labor Party particularly, I think, yeah, there, there is... Firstly, that issue of yeah, Labor members and unions being levers to help to shift the, the Labor leadership and break Labor's you know, bipartisan support for the anti-refugee politics. Like, if we could actually achieve that even partially, like, if the more there actually are Labor MPs or figures inside the Labor Party prepared to actually speak at pro-refugee demonstrations and put their name to calls to actually change Labor's policy, that actually strengthens the the broader movement, it actually helps to you know, shift opinion in society uh, as a whole because the, the arguments of the refugee movement are then seen as you know, more legitimate. So all that, I think, helps in terms of the movement's general aims to actually change government policy over refugees and end the, um, you know, the demonisation and, and punishment of refugees. But I also, I also think in terms of the, um, the Labor Party itself, like the more that there actually is a fight in the Labor Party against the Labor Party leadership by uh, the membership, like that is a good thing for both the refugee movement, you know, and the wider left because it creates a, you know, there is a division there between, you know, Labor Party members and and the leadership. Like ordinary Labor Party members are not, you know, tied into Parliament and the bureaucracy in the same way that um, that all the MPs are. And the more that we can actually encourage a fight inside the Labor Party, it means that there is. A bigger audience for you know left-wing and socialist ideas of people actually want to challenge what the the labor leadership is doing and that's an audience of people that can also be encouraged to join pro-refugee demonstrations and see the fight as not simply one that's you know inside the structures of the labor party itself but is a broader you know fight in society at large and you know that means that there's a an opportunity to to win those people to actually support in the wider refugee movement and you know, strengthening the demonstrations and the and the broader left as a as a whole, and hopefully shifting sections of the, the Labor Party membership to the left out of the process. It's twenty years since the breakout and since the fences were pulled down, uh, which is quite a long while. Although I suspect you're still getting some of the red dust out of your sleeping bag. That stuff really sticks around. What lessons would you draw from Woomera? for the movement today. We're in a different circumstance. Uh, there are refugees in our right in our major cities, not out in the desert, but we have um, a government at the moment, the Liberal government, which is arguably even more racist than the Howard government was back in 2002. So what lessons would you draw? 
I think one important lesson is simply about the general power of uh, of protest to actually win change. So the Woomera uh, protest was like an important moment in the wider refugee movement under the, the Howard government, which I think a lot of people forget now actually did win uh, important gains. So, you know, for instance, um, the Howard government itself actually was forced to, you know, a couple of years later, uh, release a lot of the long-term detainees who, you know, still were in detention centres. They got children out of detention. Uh, a lot of the people actually were brought off Nauru who were you know, still languishing in detention on Nauru at the time. Manus Island, like, was also closed and um, the last of the, the refugees brought off Manus Island. Uh, and that, that was all a product of the the movement and the protests and all the organising that the people did, of which Woomera was, um, you know, like one important part. So I think you know, it can seem like a very uphill battle today and like we've been fighting this battle for 20 years, but it hasn't um, it hasn't simply all been one way. I think it's important to see how the, the growth of the movement under the Howard government actually did, did shift public opinion significantly. So, you know, there was a big turnaround from 2001 and the time of the Tampa where there was like, 70% or so support from um, the general public for Howard uh, turning around the boat. By the time of 2004, 2005, there was actually a majority of people supporting, you know, the idea that refugee refugee boats should be allowed to, you know, to land and people seek asylum in Australia. So there were significant, you know, gains out of what, um, what the movement did. Um, but I also think Woomera in particular, I think, is is a very good example of how you know, direct action or civil disobedience in the right circumstances can actually take forward a campaign and you know, play a part in helping to shift public opinion and the, the kind of debate in society. So, yeah, as I said, the fact that people were activists were prepared to put themselves on the line and take you know, effectively illegal action trying to and helping refugees to break out of detention and directly defy you know, that detention policy you know, really raised the stakes in terms of what the, the movement was was doing and prepared to do. Uh, and I think that did, you know, spur a lot of debate, um, you know, across society. And I think that was the fact that it was overwhelmingly, like, positively received and played that positive role, I think, is indicated by the fact at the time that even John Howard didn't feel like he could come out and stridently attack um, the, the Woomera protest. He had to actually come out and say that, you know, he thought that the activists had done their cause a disservice as though somehow he actually cared about the cause that people were protesting for in the first place against his own government. So I think, yeah, it was a, it was a very good example about the, the role of that kind of um, you know, radical direct action can play as part of a broader um, social movement that you know, kind of existed at the time, um, along with, you know, the mass demonstrations and working the trade unions and and so on but yeah it was was part of that whole process of um actually trying to shift government policy over refugees and end end the detention of people you know i think that was symbolized by the fact that there actually were refugees who broke out of that detention center during that protest um in 2002 who um like a number of them who sort of stayed underground for, for a few years in australia and and in the end actually did end up being allowed to stay here there were you know, there was a process where, um, you know, in the end, a kind of um, there was backroom kind of discussions with um, people in the government, and they they agreed to allow, in return for doing a, a short stint in detention again, to give those people the um, the right to actually have a permanent visa and to live here in Australia. And there are still people 
you know, today refugees living their lives in Australia who were part of that, that breakout in 2002 who, who won their freedom as a result. So I think there's a lot of um, things that we can see that, that were directly achieved out of that protest. All right. I think that's a really fantastic note to leave it on. Thank you for your time today. No worries. Thanks, David. Thank <laughs> you.